This week on Jake's Take, we are still going to be diving into kind of what's going on with COVID-19 and how that some facilities are reopening up, how that there are some more news surrounding the NFL and their players, and of course the last dance, but I think we also want to focus on what occurred with cornerbacks DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar, just everything surrounding that whole ordeal. We're going to jump right into that right away. Welcome to this week's episode of Jake's Take. Let's go, don't wait, this night's almost over, honest, let's make this night last forever. The first thing I want to jump into on Jake's Take is the fact that we are reopening facilities this upcoming week. For the NBA to practice in. Now, I don't know how I entirely feel about that because I know that we are getting better and I think over a matter of time, things are doing pretty well, but I still think it's a little too early just to kind of continue and to pick everything back up. I know that we miss sports. I know that we miss everything in between, but I still think... It's something that we might need to take some time to think about and, you know, look into before moving forward. One thing I didn't mention in the initial beginning was the transfer of Talia Tagovailoa, the younger brother of former Alabama quarterback and first-round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins to a Tagovailoa. Now, as an Alabama graduate and as someone who is born and grown up in Alabama. I was a little upset when I found out Tuya was leaving, but I think it was the right choice for him. I know that it really came down to playing time and I think with him it was going to be a competition between Mac Jones and Bryce Young this year for who would be the starting quarterback and then Paul Tyson being, you know, the wild card in there. So it was more based around if Tweet was going to be there in time or if he was honestly going to be doing much and if he would have an opportunity. So he transferred to Maryland, and I think that was a good choice because he's transferring to a college where the head coach is the former offensive coordinator, Mike Loxley, who Tua thrived under and has the specific offense that Talia would like to be a part of. And not only that, there's also some better opportunities there where there are two quarterbacks who have already left and Talia is going to, you know, have an opportunity to compete for the starting job. Now, there is one downside with Talia leaving to go to Maryland, and that is with him, he's unable to right now is not immediately eligible and he would have to appeal his eligibility and be able to get a full season back because since he played in five games as a freshman he wouldn't qualify for getting a full year of eligibility and he would have to sit out for a year but I think he's going to appeal that and then I think it's up to the NCAA with how they would decide to focus on that appeal. Now, I don't know much about the NCAA when it comes to appeals, but what I do know is that they have made some terrible decisions 
when it comes to Alabama athletes, specifically Javon Quinterly. And I think hopefully they'll be able to make the right decision for Talia, even though it doesn't affect him at Alabama. But I think if he appeals it correctly and he discusses what he did, because technically he didn't play in five games too much and he only threw, you know, a few passes. So I think he should be able to play immediately. It's just based on how the NCAA is going to view it. What comes to mind next is what does Talia's transfer mean for Alabama and the quarterback room? Well, as I mentioned before, with the competition being between Mac Jones and true freshman Bryce Young for the starting quarterback, it does kind of leave the quarterback room very much younger. Now, with Mac Jones being a redshirt junior, he isn't technically going to be considered younger, but he only played and started in a few games last year after Tua got hurt, and he was pretty good. He only lost one game, and it was, you know, not entirely his fault, but I think it's also going to be, you know, Mac Jones is going to be the leader of the team, and now it just comes down to can he fight off a talented true freshman and the great-grandson of Paul Bear Bryant, Paul Tyson. So I think right now with Talia's transfer, while it was kind of expected, I think now it just means that the quarterback room is going to be a little bit younger, and now it's going to be kind of up to the offense to work around with a younger quarterback than usual. In the past, quarterbacks are usually, you know, on the older side, but then after Jalen Hurts started as a true freshman, after Tua started as a sophomore, and now we can kind of show that in college it is pretty much anyone's game for how they're going to play or what year they're going to start in. So I think whether or not it's Mac Jones, Bryce Young, or Paul Tyson, the loss of Talia to Maryland, I think, does affect just overall how we're seeing a shift in the quarterback room with it being, you know, a little experience to now we only have one quarterback on the roster who's actually thrown passes in the game, and we have a person who redshirted and a player who's straight out of high school who was unable to, you know, participate in spring practice due to COVID-19. The big thing I want to focus on this week has to do with Quentin Dunbar and DeAndre Baker and kind of everything surrounding what's occurred. Now, recently, I feel like on Jake's take, we have been focusing more on the players and what they're doing outside of their careers and kind of what's been going on in their personal life. We discussed Earl Thomas and kind of what occurred with his wife. We discussed Bashaw Breland and what occurred with his arrest, and now we have two more NFL players being arrested. Now, I think it's kind of important just to notate what both of these cornerbacks being arrested means. Now, DeAndre Baker is a first-round draft pick for the New York Giants. He came out of Georgia, and this is, you know, after his rookie year where he was arrested. 
Quentin Dunbar has been in the league for a while. He was a wide receiver at Florida, and then he shifted and became a pretty decent cornerback who just signed with the Seattle Seahawks. And now both of their, their careers are just kind of in question. Every team is going to handle a arrest or something having to do with violence in a different way. I remember when Kareem Hunt was arrested, the Chiefs automatically said, no, you're out of here. Granted, that was a higher occurrence, but on the same level as robbery. Now, I think it can all just kind of depend on how they view it. If it was up to me and I was a general manager, I would say, okay, well, we might have to suspend you. We might have to, you know, penalize you because this isn't how we want to run our team. This isn't how we want to view things. And then from there, I think it's going to depend on the owner and the general manager, how they view it. So it really comes down to the Harris and Joe Judge, who is a new head coach for the New York Giants, deciding what to do. And then in Seattle, well, that comes down to Pete Carroll. Now, Pete Carroll's pretty no-nonsense, and he's been around for a while. So I think he is in pretty good hands for how he'll decide that. But I think what's kind of the biggest thing outside of these two players being arrested is that we've had multiple players arrested in not even the past week. Because just a few days later, Ed Oliver was arrested too. And I don't know kind of how to contribute it, whether it has to do with them being at the wrong place at the wrong time or if there was something going on. But these are people who children look to as role models, who we wear their jerseys on our back. And now we're seeing them in a whole new light, in a whole new situation that's kind of leaving us with what do we do next? How do we view this moving forward? One of my favorite sports podcasters on YouTube, Flomo Raps, discussed the arrests on Saturday and kind of what they all meant. But there was another player I was forgetting. That was Cody Latimer. He refers to Saturday as kind of a sad Saturday or just kind of a crazy form of events because not only were there four NFL players arrested, but it was pretty different crimes. One involving, you know, impaired driving, two players arrested for robbery, and then another player being arrested involving a suspicious game of poker and noise. So it's all just kind of crazy. And now... I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen the NFL have to handle this before because we know that players are going to get arrested. We know that players are going to break the rules, and we understand that. But this is just on a new level because, you know, a week ago it was Earl Thomas, and the week before that it was Bashar Breland. But then now we're seeing four players getting arrested in the same day. This is six players in the span of two weeks. And I don't know if there's any way to explain it. And I don't know, I guess, what the next steps would be just in regards to how they explain it or how it is going to be, I guess, spoken about. Because now not only do we have, you know, 
four different coaches and general managers from Saturday trying to figure out how to put this together. But we have, you know, six coaches and general managers just trying to figure it out. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest concern and biggest thing we have to question and answer in regards to what occurred. We're going to take a short commercial break, but when we return, we're going to chronicle the last two episodes of The Last Dance and just kind of discuss what this documentary meant for everyone, whether you were a basketball fan or not, during this busy time. We'll be right back on Jake's Take. Can't seem to let you go, can't seem to keep you close. Only close. I can't seem to let you go, can't seem to keep you, you close. You know I didn't mean it though. Tell me where you've been lately, tell me where you've been lately. Just hold me close. Tell me where you've been lately, tell me where you've been lately. Don't, don't, don't let me go. Can't seem to keep you close, I can't seem to let you go. I, I know you didn't mean it though, I know you didn't mean it though. I know you didn't mean it though, tell me you didn't mean it though. I know you didn't mean it though. I wanna know you need it though. No, you didn't mean it though. I know you didn't mean it though. I can't seem to let you go. Can't seem to hold you close. So the last two episodes of The Last Dance kind of focused on the rivalry between the Indiana Pacers and eventually the Utah Jazz. And I always know that we learn about how dominant the Utah Jazz were and how the tandem of John Stockton and Carl Malone were amazing and unstoppable. But in a sense, they were stoppable because whenever they got to the finals and were playing the Chicago Bulls, they knew how much of a fight it would be, how this was going to go down to the wire. And you kind of saw that in each of those games because there were games where it was super close or games where it was decided by only a few points. And then there was that game where the Bulls held them to 54 points. Not 54 points in a half, 54 points overall. That's kind of like what you score in a half of a college basketball game maybe. But this was 54 points. In the NBA Finals, with Carl Malone and John Stockton, two members of the Dream Team, two of the best players of all time at the forward and guard position, being limited to 54 points. Now, I know earlier I discussed how they were limiting Tony Kukoc in the Olympic Games. That's kind of different, though. This is two of the best players at their position during the 90s. And I know that there was a video from SB Nation discussing how Carl Malone and John Stockton went to the finals many times. And I was intrigued by that. And then after I watched The Last Dance, I realized, oh, they went so many times, but they were also matched up against the best player of all time, one of the best forwards of all time, and if not possible, one of the best teams of all time. So I don't think there's really an excuse to be discussed. I know that it can just kind of depend on everyone's, you know, mood and kind of like what they think. But I think overall, it did a good job of chronicling the Utah Jazz rivalry with the Chicago Bulls. I think the other thing I wanted to discuss, too, was the respect that Reggie Miller of the Indiana Pacers have 
for Michael Jordan. And I know that was another kind of team or that was a series that would come down to the wire. And I think that was kind of just important too because for there to be a rivalry, for there to be competition, there have to be those games. You know, you want every game to be a blowout as a fan, but we also know that not every game is going to be a blowout. So that's kind of what makes it so interesting. I think looking back at it now, we probably expected to see the Bulls give everyone, you know, a run for their money or have shutouts, but that's not how basketball in the NBA works. You want to, you know, show that you're dominant, but I think we were seeing a close rivalry, and here's Reggie Miller, who's um, a Hall of Fame basketball player, and he's kind of just discussing how he was viewing Michael Jordan now, and he said he was only going to refer to him as Black Jesus, the Black Cat, or... Jordan, not Michael Jordan. And I think that was kind of important too because you were seeing that there was the respect and the jealousy of these players. But I think it's also just kind of important to see what everyone thought in regards to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls team. Another thing I want to discuss is Michael Jordan's The Flu Game. And you kind of got a sense of what that meant because you knew that if Michael Jordan is going to talk about any game, he's going to talk about the flu game. But what was surprising to me was that it wasn't the flu, it was food poisoning. And yet he still went out there and performed at the Michael Jordan level that we all expected. And you were seeing Michael Jordan just continue to break odds and break barriers. And then you see that lasting image of Scottie Pippen you know, holding him and walking him off the court. And I think that's kind of important too, because that showed the tandem, that showed the bond the two of them had. And then you also saw later on in the finals when Scotty was, had his back hurt, they were kind of doing the same thing there too. But I think at the time, we didn't realize how important the flu game would be But that is just kind of known as what Michael Jordan's legacy is going to be. The type of player he is, the type of competitor. And the fact that when they're interviewing his mother and she's saying, Michael, you don't have to play. And he says, no, I have to play. I think that's just kind of what highlights Michael Jordan as a player. He wouldn't back down from so many things. And I think speaking of Michael Jordan's mother, what I did enjoy focusing on in the segments too was in regards to Michael Jordan's relationship with a security guard Gus and kind of what they focused on with Steve Kerr. Now, after Michael Jordan's father was killed, he kind of started to view one of the Chicago security guards, Gus, as a father figure. And Gus was always there for him. He was always there for Gus. And then when Gus got sick, Michael was the one who was there with him and supporting him. And he was the one who actually told Gus's wife that he thinks something was wrong. So I think you saw the relationship between the two of them. And I mean, they even brought back so many of the security guards that Michael Jordan was close with when he came back from his first retirement. So I think that was kind of important too, because not only was he seeing this man who 
was just a security guard in our eyes as a father figure, but he was seeing him more than that. And I think that was important to chronicle in this, as well as, you know, interviewing Gus's wife. And I know that Gus had just passed away about 20 years ago, but it still was important to interview him. And in regards to kind of the Steve Kerr story, I know that we all know Steve Kerr as the Golden State Warriors head coach, who's won multiple championships as a player and as a coach, but we don't really know Steve Kerr as the player. And I think allowing us to see Steve Kerr now as a player, as someone who you saw in the NBA, I think that was more important. And he has a story kind of similar to Michael's in which they both lost their father. And it was kind of different, though, with Steve Kerr. His father was the president of the American University in Beirut, and he was shot and killed. And one of the questions was if Steve Kerr and MJ had spoken about it or had discussed anything regarding to their fathers, and they didn't. And I think that was kind of the right choice, because I know that it's something that you probably shouldn't have to talk about. I don't think you can really put into words what it means to have your father die when you're young, but to have your father murdered. And I think that's just something we won't understand, or something that we kind of have to put into words or ever knew how to put into words. But you kind of saw the energy and the work ethic of these two players. One who is regarded as the best player of all time and one who's going to be regarded as one of the best coaches of the 21st century. You saw their work ethic. You saw Steve Kerr fight for everything, scrap for everything and do his best. And I think that kind of helped show what both these players meant and how they overcame tragedy and adversity. Because as Steve Kerr put it, he wasn't highly touted and he had to work his way to get there. And he started seeing John Paxson and kind of what could be done and how he knew he was going to be a role player. And then he ended up having one of the biggest shots of his life. So I think now it comes down to what the role was for both players. But then you also kind of saw the respect of both players. Overall, I think The Last Dance was what we needed during this time. And I think it was something that we are so lucky that we got. But also, I think it kind of set the tone. Right now, we were able to see not only one of the best teams of all time, but we were able to see the greatest coach, the greatest player, the greatest teammates, and see all these great teammates and players just discuss the Bulls dynasty and we were also able to kind of see the commissioner who had just passed away we were able to see David Stern we were able to see Kobe Bryant who just passed away in January so we were in a sense spoiled but it was also kind of what we needed I don't think that we had planned for this time to be as busy and as crazy as we expected. But I think with The Last Dance being published and being able to be shown on TV, being available for us, it was just what we needed. It was what we needed at this busy time and what we needed to kind of keep us together. 
And I think it kind of set a tone for it. I know that now people might be asking, are there, are there going to be other dynasties that are documented? Well, I don't think we need to be so quick to do that. As much as I would love to see a Lakers documentary or a documentary about the Yankees or the Patriots, I don't think we need that. I think right now we need to be thankful for what we were able to see in the last dance from some of the best players of the Chicago Bulls, of the NBA, and then just kind of be thankful. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this movie, and I think that's something that we should all kind of be thankful for. Things are slowly going to get back to normal, and I know that right now with people kind of having an idea of when sports are going to be reopening or with sports saying that in June more things might be opening up again, we kind of can kind of get back to what we think is normal again. But we also know that we won't entirely know what normal means until it occurs. And I think right now with The Last Dance ending with so many things kind of getting back on track and so many people going home or going back to work or with companies opening up again and the states reopening, I still think that everything we've done has passed. I think everything we've been doing has been great. I know it's been tough and I know that there hasn't been a form of consistency in our lives. But I think right now, when we needed it the most, it was there. And I think similar to The Last Dance, similar to making these podcasts, we need some consistency in our lives. And I think right now, I know that I say this every week, I know that I'm saying how grateful we are for everyone's health and everyone's perseverance, but we need to be reminded that. This isn't something we could have planned for. This isn't something that we could study or learn in in school. This is something that caught us off guard. But we were able to get through this. We're able to still get through this. And we were able to put our lives on hold just to kind of work with everything that's been going on. So I want to say thank you again. I know I say that every week. I know I've been saying that for the past coming up on two months. But I think it's important to know. I think it's important to know that everything we've been doing has helped kind of get us back on track, get us prepared for the next steps and the next parts of this busy journey. And I think that's important because we wouldn't be here without all the hard workers, all the people in the hospitals, all the doctors, the nurses, all the people who have become essential workers. We wouldn't be there without them. We wouldn't be here without all the people who drive the mail trucks, who are doing the gig jobs. We wouldn't be here without them. So I want to take a minute and say thank you to everyone. Whether you've done any of these busy jobs or you're still working or just doing a part or having a part in this period, you need to be thanked because everything you've been doing means so much to all of us. And I don't think we would be here without you. It's still crazy to think that two months ago I was able to put this together and the fact that still putting this together and still having sports news and having this not slow down is still just a wonderful thing to think about. So I just want to say thank you. And next week on Jake's Take, we're going to be kind of discussing more of our feelings towards reopening for certain sports, kind of seeing what the NFL is going to do in regards to these players who were just arrested and what they might mean. And then just seeing what we overall think in regards to when sports might be coming back 
or when we think there are going to be kind of a chance in the United States of us reopening. As I mentioned each week, I want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. And if you ever have anything you want to discuss or you'd like for me to discuss, I'm always happy to jump into it. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in to Jake's Take and we will see you next week. Find someone who loves you right away.